Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Drink, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. So welcome to this week's Hold My Drink. This is our Christmas podcast. And today I have my friend, W.F. Twyman Jr., also known as Wink, who is an author and an attorney in San Diego. And I have his cousin, Nathan Twyman, who is a professor at BYU in information technology. Did I have that right, Nathan? Information systems. That's right. Good and job. these two, we're coming together today across um, the, it, it, within the Twyman family tree, but across racial differences to discuss different family traditions of the Twyman family. And so you guys, you know how it goes. Uh, first question is, what are we drinking for this conversation? Wink. <laughs> well, I like imagination. And like before, I have ginger beer, ginger beer oh. with the cup. Can you see the cup? Mm-hmm. Uh, there we go. My um, wife happened to graduate from Yale. So it's a Yale cup oh. from her reunion. And my daughter, Caroline, is currently a first year student at Yale as well. So it's a legacy cup, legacy cup. Nathan, Very nice. do you have a drink? I wish I had something that was quite as sentimental, but I, I brought with me my favorite drink, which is a low-sodium V8 juice. It's a staple of my professors. <laughs> the professors always have some crazy drink that nobody ever drinks that somehow is their favorite, and they have stacks of it, and that definitely fits for me. Well, you know what? That would work for me if it had some vodka in it. Um, <laughs> you know, for Bloody Mary, I've got um, – it's raining, it's cold here in Austin, and so I am drinking – I decided I've got – hot chocolate, but I did put a splash of Jameson in it because, you there know, you go. that's all. <laughs> so with that, uh, you guys, I'm so excited to be a part of this. I'm an interloper in the Twyman family, <laughs> as uh, some people might know from an earlier podcast. But Wink, please just let, how did you get, I know oh. this journey is so important to you to connect. So hit sure. us. Well, let me start, because actually I was thinking about this this morning on my morning walk. Um, Nathan, uh, you are a good man. You're a good man, Nathan. I mean, what Nathan has done, in a sense, is to complete the work of so many of our Twyman ancestors. You know, in past years, people have tried to pull together the history. There have been fits and starts, but no one has actually completed the task. You know, in Nathan's recent manuscript, uh, American Family, American Twyman, excuse me. I mean, what he has done is really spectacular. Uh, he has pushed back the boundaries, I think, of our known uh, knowledge of the family. So, for example, um, there was always a question, were there ancestors before George Twyman I, and who were they? And Nathan has, in a sense, lifted the veil in terms of that deep past. Um, Nathan has also been very good, very good, at subjecting each piece of evidence uh, to scrutiny and deciding how valuable and how reliable said evidence is. He has with great discernment uh, separated perhaps hearsay from documentary evidence. And that's great, that's wonderful. Um, when you read his book, you really get a sense of how special the Twymans are. 
as Nathan knows, we could easily have died in the 1680s in Middlesex County, Virginia. The line could have ended, right, in the 17, early 1700s, but it didn't, but it didn't. And today we have over 3,000 Twymans in this country. We're all descendants of this one courageous teenager who left Kent, England in 1677 for New World uh, on a ship called Recovery of all things. And here we are today, his descendants recovering that which was lost to us in the past. I just think my heart overflows. I think that our family is uniquely blessed because we did survive the wilderness of Virginia. We made it through. And today we represent in its richness and texture, the full glory of the American experience. So I just think, you know, in, in a micro sense, it's just two guys talking on a Christmas day, but in a macro sense, there's so much value in what we're doing. We're showing a common purpose, a common meaning. I mean, when Nathan and I work on our, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, Nathan, you and I have thought more about George Twyman, the first, the second, the third, the fourth, than 99% of people on this planet, I'm sure. <laughs> and that binds us together. And, you know, in a day and an age when there's so much rancor and disharmony and discord and acrimony in the larger world, it is so beautiful to see people coming together for a mutual purpose, shared by uh, family, a family name and a family bloodline. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop with these words. In 1786, George Twyman III wrote a hymn, and he said, we'll join the angels in our days and sing the great Redeemer's praise. Who came to the earth down from the sky to save poor sinners such as I. And those words from 1786, I now speak today to my cousin, uh, one twaman to another. What could be more in tune with the Christmas spirit? And I'm gonna stop, because I could keep going <laughs> for some time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, amen. I mean, thanks thanks so much for even, uh, for letting me be a part of this. This is a great opportunity. Um, and the the book, the, the American Twyman book, I I appreciate the good words, but most of the words that most of the things that came from that book were a result of a Twyman here, a Twyman descendant there, uh, writing something down, holding on to something. That very song that we uh, quoted um, was uh, only made possible because somebody decided it was important enough to gift to their daughter. George gifted it to his daughter as a Christmas present uh, or as a going away present. And then later she handed it down to her children who then eventually somebody got to the point where said, I don't know if I really want this anymore. This is old stuff. But rather than dumping it, they donated it to a library who decided it was worth preserving. You know, So just a bunch of little things there, a bunch of little actions uh, allowed us to have that uh, today and to be touched by some understanding of what they were thinking and how they treated Christmas back then. It's really special. Now, one of the things uh, I would add um, is that in addition to Nathan's wonderful book, which I think people, all Twymans should read, 
uh, and actually people interested in deep American history. Um, there's a book that I gain a lot from as well, uh, and I will move it over. It's called Migrations, and this is by, can you see that? It's by, um, let's see, Jimmy Smith the third. And this book I find takes the S to the next step in a sense, because Nathan really maximized the value of the traditional type of evidence we have to show connection. What cousin Jimmy does is to look at uh, genetics, to look at DNA connection. And he really expands the sense of family. And I think that's the future. And I've told Nathan this already. I'm looking forward to the second edition because I know in the second edition, he will address the issue of genetic twiaments. And it's, and it's not easy. My heart goes out to Nathan because it's not easy to look through genetic triangulation and different degrees of genetic overlap and uh, segments and, 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 and what have you. It's not an easy thing, but we know Clearly, we know that there are Twyman's that are descendants of George the first, second, and third, and fourth, that may not be in the first editions of Nathan's book. Uh, my family, for example, we've been Twyman since the 1790s. Grew up in Twyman Road. Everyone was a Twyman. So I, I look forward to us being represented in the second edition, as is true for Cousin Jimmy. Cousin Jimmy has done extensive genetic work into the uh, Twyman Pass. And I know he looks forward to being recognized as well in the next edition. Also would be the case for the family of uh, Patty, Patty Kelly, uh, who really, I would give her an award for genetic genealogy. Um, she had no Twyman name to go on. She just had random DNA matches. She was able to pull back the veil in the past to go through two name changes to discover a connection to Anthony Twyman. I just think that's amazing. And I think that needs to be represented in the next edition of Nathan's Absolutely. great masterpiece. Uh, and then also this Marcus Twyman, he shares the Twyman male maternal haplogroup, which I think is R-M467. Marcus, I'm sure, is uh, looking forward to having his family represented in the next edition. How's that for pressure, Nathan? <laughs> oh boy, it's heavy pressure. It's actually a serious <laughs> challenge as well. So I had to make a decision. Do I publish the book now? It was, uh, it's only 30 pages of narrative, but it's supported by 100 and plus 130 pages of uh, small right. font sources, right? And, and, and logic for those who are interested in that part. Uh, to try and get the genealogy for a, from a DNA perspective, even to just map one genetic line. It's not documented in research, but documented in, by uh, just DNA connections. To try to get that documentation down is could easily be another 50 pages for one line, right? It's, uh, it's such a complicated and difficult endeavor. When I first came across DNA research, I thought, boy, I don't know if I, this is, I don't even know how I get started. It took me a lot of research to figure out how to even do this so that it's reliable. So the the big chance. So if you're just trying to figure out who your father is, biological father or a biological grandmother or something like that, then it's it's not as much work, even though it's a ton of work for some of these people to discover that. But to try to find a common ancestor five, six, seven generations back takes an extraordinary yeah. amount of research and document and traditional documentation in addition to exploring the genes that you share. 
So it's really something yeah. It really takes a lot of effort. And so that's going to be something what we really need to do, you and I wink somehow, is to generate enough interest and enough twinings that we can try to get, start gathering that information and putting yes. it all in yes. one place. Yes. <laughs> right? so, yeah. So yes. to try to get I that is a real challenge. I agree. <laughs> yeah. well, you guys have such an interesting you know, history. Sorry we, to, to interrupt. I mean, I would love right to hear more because you know when wink and i talk i mean he tells me of ancestors and being distant cousins to george washington and to robert e lee and um i mean and, and you to have that in your family line and especially across different racial divides i mean that is a way that i think that the twyman family can be a role model for the rest of the world in this genealogy study that is really in depth and really deep and it's hard work. And Nathan, I can't even imagine what you've done. Wink blows me away all the time. Like Wink will tell me, go check this Hapalopa blah, blah, blah group. And I'm like, the what? What group? Hapalopa what? You know, and, and, but he does that work. You're doing that work. And to see, I think the big thing with Wink and I is that really at the end of the day, we're all connected. Right. I mean, I mean, probably so yes. many of us, yes. black, white, whatever, can connect back to these, you know, controversial figures in our American history. And I think we can iron on a mission to say, look, when you have that recognition, it's a game changer for our country. It's mm -hmm. a game changer for how we you interact know, with each other. Jen, if I can interject, that's a I'm good done. point. I was once again on my morning walk. I can have great ideas on my morning walk. On my morning walk, I was thinking to myself, do a thought experiment. <clears throat> Nathan's a scientist, so he'll appreciate this. Do a thought experiment. Let's assume you have um, some black kids in Richmond, Virginia, and all they know is that they are 100% descendants of American slaves. So that's their sense of self, that's their identity. That's all they know. Now, try a different set. Uh, imagine a set of black kids in Virginia who know they're both descendants of American slaves, but also descendants of George Twyman III, or the Buford Twyman, the Buford family, or the Montague family, right? Uh, or even possibly the Lee family. I just think that that expands their sense of self and it's not a conscious thing. It may just be unconscious, but it may be the sense that they feel more connected to the American mission, the American project, the American experience. I mean, this is a true story because uh, this is about real talk, right? So I was talking with my lovely daughter, Caroline, who we all know I love and adore. So I was talking with Caroline one day and I said to Caroline, you know, Caroline, you know, one of your ancestors was Peter Montague, this, this guy who was one of the guys who came to Jamestown in 1621. And Caroline said to me, and I love my daughter, she's so intelligent and doesn't hold back. She said, well, you know, dad, that guy wouldn't have had anything to do with me. And then she scattered off downstairs. I think that's so sad though, that kind of disaffection from your genetic past. So that's one of the reasons why I concur wholeheartedly and what Jen has said is that you can expand the mental space of black kids so much to the good. What do you think, Nathan? Well, 
I for for my kids, when I tell them a story about one of their ancestors, they're always fascinated. And it's just for some reason being it's it's just another person they don't know, but because it's one of their ancestors or one of their relatives, then that somehow has sparks an interest. And I think one of those interests it gives is uh, introspection. I said, what kind of a person am I, you know, what would I do in that situation? You know, I wonder why mm -hmm. that person mm -hmm. did it. I wonder why she did that, you know, and it's really fascinating to them in that regard. You know, I think there's three trains of thought when it comes to that sort of thing. You know, we're related to people who um, some did some good things, some bad things. And we tend to, we have, we have, you know, the, tr the long ago traditional idea was let's just focus only on the good things they did and ignore all the bad things because we don't, we don't want to bring that air right. dirty laundry, right? Let's do that. And I think the backlash has been, well, let's, let's instead focus on just the bad things they did so we can correct those problems that they've caused, you know, and that is kind of a logical thing to take. And then you have another third group that says, well, let's do good and bad. Let's just tell it exactly how it is and uh, not focus. You know, my, my own philosophy on that, which I, is that uh, um, you're, if we want to make progress in our lives personally or as a society, we want to, uh, we want to focus on the good more than the bad. We have to acknowledge the bad. You have to acknowledge the good to look at. But how many people are inspired by beatings will continue until morale improves? It, it doesn't really make people want to change for the better. Uh, it's okay to acknowledge the bad and try to beat and try to correct those. But I think if we focus mostly on the good, and I honestly think that's what Twymans used to do. Twymans of all mm. races used to do. They would focus on the good more than the bad. And that's what really inspired them to become who they were. And I think that's uh, motivating to me. Nathan, Nathan, once again, this goes back to my sense of almost uh, a destiny about our family, about the family. I mean, why do you think George Twyman I and George Twyman II survived the wilderness of Virginia? I mean, what, what was it that gave them the, the grit to make it through those harsh times? Well, they didn't survive. Both of them died, and probably because of wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're just related to ills, right? They, they looked like they both died at a relatively young age, probably in their 40s, though. They made it long enough to have a few kids, and then the right. wilderness got them. It's a sad reality. But part of the reason they survived is they had no choice. Uh, that It's either that or roll over and die, and they were unwilling to roll over and die. They decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to fight to the bitter end, and they did. Mm -hmm. And they found joy in it. You know, what little documentation we have, at least from George II, shows that he found joy in his life, that he was proud of his family, that he wanted to take care of them, um, and that it, it was uh, a great thing, you know, for them. So um, forced to, but even if you're forced into a situation that you can't, you can't escape from, they tried their best to make the best, uh, best of it they could, and I think they succeeded. Jen, you may not know this, but Nathan and I are descendants of a runaway. George yeah. Twyman I was a runaway indentured servant. He hung out, I guess, in the wilderness for four months before being returned uh, to Thomas Lee. Wow. What do you make of that, Nathan? <laughs> well, it's hard. So, you know, he was shipped across <laughs> the ocean. And what, what evidence we have seems to suggest it was likely because the, the, the plague was so bad in, in, in England, he probably just didn't mm. have enough time and family there to take care of him. 
And although they judged him to be 16 years old when he arrived, he might have been a little younger than that. And they were just giving him the benefit of the doubt because of some laws at the time that said you don't don't call somebody 14 or 15 or they have to work even longer and harder and so on and so forth. So he was probably 14 years old and told, OK, you know, pick tobacco and work the tobacco fields for 12 hour days. Uh, it's, it was in the worst part of the indentured servant era because uh, tobacco was no longer as profitable as it used to be. And so they were expected to do an unbelievable amount of work to make up the difference. So one person had to produce twice, three times as much as they used to before then. So here you got a 14 year old that's suddenly thrown into that sort of a situation. What is your way out? He wanted to go there to begin with, probably. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so he escaped, uh, he escaped, but then you escaped to where? Uh, you know, I, I don't right, know if you right. like in the wilderness. So eventually they brought him back. They're just, I mean, where else were you going to go uh, to work to somebody else for a tobacco farm? You didn't have any other skills. So uh, again, he was stuck. He was stuck, but he somehow made it through. That's what's so impressive. Despite that, he came back. Yeah. They lengthened his term of service and said, you now have to work an extra two and a half years for those four months. Woo. So yes. a bit, yes. bit draconian yes. there, but uh, he pulled through somehow. And, and, how, and then. And how did he how did he manage to marry up into the Montague family? I wish I could figure that story out. So here you got this poor kid who is, uh, you know, dentured server has nothing to his name. The law said that he gets right. just a little bit of a pittance when he is released from his servitude. And then uh, somehow he ends up marrying into the Montague family, long time, very wealthy in the area. I don't know how he did that. Maybe he was just really charming. <laughs> I wish I could pick up that skill. <laughs> Caroline's theory is that he must have been like Alexander Hamilton, that he must have okay. seemed to be such a charmer and intellect that uh, uh, Catherine Montague was just seduced, taken over of his charm and intellect. Maybe so. You know, with Catherine, uh, she either, her parents died around the time she got married, either before or just after. So mm -hmm. she was in a difficult time herself, lost some other family members. That wilderness took a lot of people back then. I mean, everybody yeah. was dying all over the place. By the time we got two generations, George Plyman III, we finally adapted to the climate and so forth. But back then, it was uh, people were dying left and right. It was, it was a sad, difficult time, and yet people found a lot of joy in their lives. It's really fascinating to yes, see. Yes, that's important. That's important. You know, you said something, Nathan, that I want to bring back to Wink, because I think that's, knowing Wink, that's kind of his personality, and, and it's so cool to be the one here this is the first time you guys are talking to each other, but you, you, you mentioned history and how we look at history and we can choose how we look at history. And uh, we can accept the negative, review the negative, and, but we don't have to stay there. You know, there's also a lot of positive of our history. And I know that this is Wink's personality. And I think that with Wink and seeing the Twyman family and the history of the Twyman family, and the split in the Twyman family and, and races and whatnot, Wink chooses to see the strength in that. And, um, and he, that's so important to him. He recognizes that most likely the split in that family was, you know, who knows? Well, who, I, I don't want even say, Wink, I don't even want to speak for you because who knows? Was it, was it an affair? Was it right? We don't know. We don't know. And we right. will never like assume one or the other. That's the beauty about Wink. But the fact that he can still see, look, there was some stuff there 
that probably wasn't great. And then, of course, you know, you've got the p potential of Robert E. Lee in, in, in your family and whatnot, which, again, but he looks at the strength of that, that, that bloodline, if you will. Um, when, do you want to speak to that? Because I, when Nathan said that, well, this is the first time y'all are meeting, and he said that, I know, and I know this I is know. your personality, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you guys are like your family. Yeah, I want to be clear to Nathan, because, uh, you know, one of the great things about genetic genealogy is every, everyone may not, may not draw the same conclusions. People may look at evidence and apply different standards or review. So I want to be fair to Nathan. I don't think Nathan, at this point, believes the evidence is sufficient to support a tie to uh, the Lee family through Elizabeth, uh, who may have been married to, I think, Thomas Buford. Um, but <clears throat> Nathan, just so you know, and I'll send it to you later after this podcast, I retrieved an email from Ancestry maybe three years ago. I, me, <clears throat> I DNA match Elizabeth Metstan Lee. There's a clear DNA match. Her, like, descendant who's an eighth cousin of mine we match so that may support the evidence that elizabeth indeed married uh charles lee which would then support the tie to the lee family but that's just oh. an aside but but i but i do think i do think jen personality is so important um i was born a very optimistic person um and i think that helped me to navigate many of the obstacles in life um and in terms of the Twyman uh, family, I, I was thinking about this as well on my morning walk. I mean, think about it. My last name is Twyman. When I was six years old, the very street I lived on was Twyman Road. So I would see the street sign every day. And everyone on the street was a Twyman. Uncle Will Ernest across the street. Uncle Robert Daniel down by the, uh, the end of the road. Uh, I had cousin Bob and cousin... Bruce and cousin Tony and cousin Patrick, all Todd Patrick, all Twymans across the street, cousin Alicia, Twyman. So I really came into the world thinking the world is filled with Twymans until the age of maybe eight or nine. I didn't really appreciate we were the world was more than that. So maybe that gave me a great sense of self, if that makes sense. And so that when I am interested in the deep Twyman past, it's a sign of my strong sense of self in me as a Twyman, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does or doesn't, but I think uh, that's that's what's going on, is that um, those things give you a strong sense of yourself and a strong thirst to want to know more. I mean, for 50 years of my life, I could only go back to Scott Twyman, a slave, my grand, my grandfather's grandfather. And then on August, on August 30th, 2016, the universe opened up for me, Cousin Deb, Andrew in Louisville, Kentucky, as Nathan knows, we connected. And so I, it, this whole new universe of re relations opened up. So <clears throat> I want to ask Nathan a question, actually. So for me, the, the, the opening up was a vertical line of ascent, right, to past ancestors. You now have a larger universe horizontally of cousins you've never met, fifth cousins, fourth cousins. How do you feel about that? What is your reaction to that? I love it. I, in fact, so when I was uh, young, I knew no Twymans. There's my family, and that was it. You know, that was no, I, Twymans didn't exist in the world except for me, right? And for my family. So this Correct. was very different. When one of the, uh, my father was big into genealogy and to family research, and I, I wasn't at the time, but he's the one who 
uh, kind of started me off. And uh, uh, part of the reason, part of the reason that uh, Twymans have split up, one of the reasons is my ancestor caused a rift in the Twyman family. Mm -hmm. So he was an ele he allegedly murdered a Twyman cousin. And it was such a big rift that he ran away, he went to a different state, hid from the family. Nobody knew where he was. They tried to give him an inheritance from his father's estate. And his son found out about it and said, don't give it to him. He'll just spend it on alcohol. <laughs> I mean, that's, so that's my ancestor. <laughs> that's kind of tough, right? Right. Uh, at the same time, uh, so I, I'm no stranger to people who've done some things at least wrong in their life here, clearly. At right. the same time. Now, uh, because of that, I, because I didn't know who Twymans were, it's one of the interesting things is to find out well, who are the Twymans. It's just somehow driven me. And to find out that there's, uh, I originally assumed there was more once I started. I thought there were more black Twymans than white Twymans in America. And I wanted to know why and how and where they came from. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm starting to figure that out. I've discovered it's a whole lot more complicated than I ever dreamed. <laughs> I thought there'd be a few, <laughs> I assumed there'd be five or six families that were in the various five or six places where Twyman's were. Turns out there's just a huge litany of them that, that oh, right. uh, either That's were right. direct descendants or, or adopted the name. Uh, some of them adopted the Twyman name and then changed to a different name later. And I mean, <laughs> some of them changed to a different name and then adopted. It's such a huge thing, sure. uh, a huge uh, complex mystery that will take forever to find out. But regardless of where they came from, Truthfully, we're all one tree anyway, regardless. Uh, I am right. the, So the biggest family search, the biggest family tree in the world is managed by family search. And I recently talked to the main person over the entire tree. And he said, you know, there, I thought there'd be several trees that were kind of sort of interconnected. There is one huge tree and everybody is closely tied. It is just really one mm -hmm. huge big tree here. Uh, and so, although I, I still don't agree that there's a direct connection to Robert E. Lee, I, eventually we all connect right. to Robert E. Lee, <laughs> right? You go up right. and down right. long enough, we're all there, right? Heroes so, and villains. villains, heroes That's and villains, true. we all have them in our, in our, in our bloodline. So y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished with my drink. Um, and thank you so much for allowing me to, to be a part of your family again, Wink. Uh, I would love to end on, for both of you, Nathan and Wink, and your discoveries of, of who you are as Twymans, what kind of Christmas message do you want to leave on? Ah, that's a great question, Jen. That's a great question. I want to leave on this message. <clears throat> for years, our family has gone to Palm Springs for Christmas time, and we've had a great time in Palm Springs. Unfortunately, given the uh, pandemic and conditions, uh, we're unable to go. And there's a sense of loss, a sense of regret, but then I remind myself that, you know, even though we can't go to Palm Springs for Christmas, uh, we have each other uh, as a family and we have those memories uh, of the past. And I want to read uh, a lyric from a song that I often would listen to as we would drive over the mountain pass into the desert for Palm Springs in our holiday celebration. Uh, it's with the Christmas Heart by Luther Vandross. Uh, and he says, uh, it's Christmas now. This is when we see all the angels dancing in the sky above just for us. It's Christmas Day, something to believe in. I believe the love that we feel for each other is the gift to us. And so in a sense, this podcast is our Christmas gift to our Twyman family. That's my thought. 
Thanks, Wink. That was a great thought. You know, that's a really great thought. Uh, I guess uh, so George Twyman III, who we have the most about, he, uh, he was a compulsive gambler at one point. Uh, he, he had some problems. And then he turned it around. It was because of his faith in Jesus Christ that made a difference for him. He's a true uh, Christmas Twyman, I guess. And although he's uh, not a perfect individual by any stretch, um, uh, I, I feel like he exemplifies what we want Twyman's to be when it comes to caring about other people. All of his writings that we have preserved were about him caring for his family, caring for other people in his care. I mean, he was... Uh, um, Someone who, although he didn't do it perfectly, always tried to exhibit uh, what he felt like was a true Christmas spirit. And so I guess my Christmas message uh, would be uh, this story of the Good Samaritan from Christ himself, where he said, you know, go and when you see somebody on the side of the road, that's, that's a twyman there. You, know, you see somebody who needs help, that's, that's a twyman. And let, let's reach out and help one another uh, regardless. And that's my goal for my own life, inspired by Twymans of old. And Twymans today, Wink. Thank you. Well, now that... You here, know, here. Nathan, You're a good man, Nathan. You're a good man. <laughs> and like you said, Nathan, we're all like one big family tree. So now I feel like I'm a Twyman too. So... Yeah, absolutely. Merry Christmas. Connor, we bless you. Welcome to the well, Oak Lawn Association. <laughs> <laughs> we expect you to show up to reunions. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say Hold My Drink and the conversation gets real. <laughs>